We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by co-host Nick Filato, the man, the myth, the legend, the guy who reads those ads far too loud and far, far too annoyingly, at least in the minds of our listeners. I think he does a great job with them. Thanks, Dan. Today, we're here to break down the All-22 coaches film of the Giants defense in their victory over the Eagles. Before we do that, I do want to give a shout out to those of you who have done your part to help us grow the show by giving us a rating and review on iTunes. We're all the way up to 336 ratings, most of which are five stars. For those of you who didn't five star us, you can go to hell unless you're Kwame Zilla because you did upgrade us from a one to four star and we do appreciate that. You can go to purgatory, my friend. You are in purgatory. (laughs) For the rest of you and those of you who have recently given us some ratings and reviews, we're going to give you a shout out. So Reginald Fairfield the seventh what a name first of all reginald what a name big fan and you gave us a nice review a five-star best source for all things giants these guys get it that's all that needs to be said when you're reginald fairfield the seventh that's all you need to say that's that's an incredible name it's an incredible name that's a first round draft pick that's a yeah you would draft reginald fairfield the seventh in the first round and he gets it he doesn't he doesn't take much to say we also got bbb chi cherry the jerry five who i really appreciate giving us a five star because when you dive into this one you really pick it apart and you unpack this one you break down the all 22 film 
on BB Chi, Jerry, the, Jerry F's five-star rating of us, it doesn't read like one. It says, stop the whining. I like the podcast and I listen regularly. I'm still giving it five stars, but the whining diatribes are exhausting. Thank God your partner has a level head and a better understanding of the game. Please try to chill. I feel like that one was directed right at me. And you know what? <laughs> you know what, BBG Cherry? I'm just glad that this wasn't a complaint about Nick's ad read voice because I, I, <laughs> at some point I got to take the heat. And then that one goes right in conjunction with Cozy Cozy 123 with another five-star review. Becoming a classic. He flips the script on BBG Cherry, though. This is like a game-changing review because it flips the script entirely because he says it's becoming a classic. I'm starting to love tuning in after a Giants game just to hear the rant from Dan. I love it. His passion throws, shows through like an actual Giants fan. He's not close to Don LaGreca's rants, but it's good nonetheless. Keeping Keep them coming, fellas, and your analysis is always spot on. So those two go back and forth. I don't know. Some people bring up the Wisconsin talk, and I know we had a listener. I'm now blanking on the name, and I feel bad for this, so hit me up on Twitter and bash me for forgetting your name because you're my boy, who said he was disappointed that I didn't talk about Wisconsin on the last podcast, on the review. So I'm going to give Wisconsin a little bit of time before we dive into we're, the All-22 on defense. We're going to get eviscerated on this, oh, for this, this is going to get ugly. For those of you who remember the time we talked about fantasy football a couple weeks ago, we spent a minute and a half. I think it was 242 seconds I counted. Well, guess what? That led to two <laughs> one-star reviews. Two one-star reviews. So I'm going to take a few minutes to talk about the Wisconsin Badgers. For those of you who don't know, ranked number 10 in the country, should be higher, but they've been coveted out of two games they just beat the crap out of the michigan wolverines embarrassed them on national tv this is a michigan wolverines team that has harbach the all the great jim harbach they have the top five recruiting class year after year five star recruits flowing in and out of that program when wisconsin has a bunch of three stars and four stars recruiting classes ranked outside the top 20 it doesn't matter coaching matters program matters and this wisconsin team has no holes for the first time in a while and it showed they went up 28 nothing in the big house in that game 28 nothing a total embarrassment a shellacking for those of wisconsin fans who listen to the big blue banter podcast i know you're out there because you hit me up this week enjoy it baby this is the best football team we've watched as giants and badgers fans in a whole long time man in a long long time so with that note with that said it's time to dive into the giants all 22 podcast before we get into the all 22 podcast i'm just glad that don lagreca got a got a shout shout out yeah Yeah, i bet don lagreca man he's a nice guy he actually, I went to the Martell's Tiki Bar. I'm going to bring this story up real quick. They have a thing down there, Martell's Tiki Bar, with the Michael K. Show every year. I went down there back in 2017. Apparently, I look just like their board op. So Don LaGreca, I see that I see him and Michael K. doing their thing, and I'm just like, ah, oh, whatever, you know. And then I see him make eye contact with me, and I lean over to my friend. And I'm like, why the hell is Don LaGreca pointing at me? And Don LaGreca approached me and asked me if he could take a picture of me and send it to one of his friends. He's like, can I take a picture of you on my phone and send it to one of my friends? I was like, that's kind of creepy, but I know who RJ Santillo <laughs> is, their board op, just by the show, not personally. So I was like, yeah, sure. So he took a picture of me, and then I ended up going on the show on the stage on Martell's Tiki Bar, and that's it was awesome. like a whole thing. Yeah, it was, it was actually pretty funny. That's excellent. That is <laughs> excellent stuff. They even gave me a nickname too, Dan. They called me Jacked RJ. Jacked RJ. That's that's gotta build that ego a little uh, higher. Just a it. little bit, man. You know, just when I thought you didn't need another boost on your ego, you <laughs> got one right there. They also call me RJ Jace. What does that mean? RJ Jason. I don't know, something that Peter Rosenberg on the Michael K show always says. He says a Jace for whatever reason. All right. Ends well, up being predictive. I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of those. I actually don't listen to many of the the radio shows. When I used to drive or when I used to drive in New Jersey for a job when I worked at a hospital, I would listen to 
Francesa, but mostly just for entertainment purposes. I think that those guys are just my mind. Just I guess they're what they're for is for entertainment. What they're for. But I just hate listening to their sports takes so much that I just never got into it. But it is a pretty cool story that you got to go on stage and you got to meet Donnie LaGreca, um, also classic Giants fan, who's had some funny rants, I think, and just somebody who's really passionate about the team. But let's dive into some tape. Let's talk some All-22 Giants defense. This was a really, really interesting game for the Giants defense in a lot of ways. This is probably, in my mind, the best the pass defense has played, without a doubt, this entire season. It was by far and away the most complete game for the passing game. If you look at this game as a whole and on the All-22, individual plays, individual drives, this pass defense really didn't see much at all. They shut down the pass game. Now, the Eagles were able to get a lot of yards in the running game. Miles Sanders chewed him up at times. Boston Scott had the big 50-plus yard play. But in the passing game, the Giants were lights out. They had key fourth down stops. They, Like I said, they had two times where they turned the Eagles over on downs. Two On both of those, it was first and 10, second and 10, third and 10, fourth and 10. Or one of them, I think, was fourth and 18 after a sack. So they were just really able to stay ahead of the sticks from that side of the ball. I thought it was also interesting because we saw some different looks from Patrick Graham in this one. We saw some man coverage on key third downs. We saw some single high looks. We saw a lot of blitzes from the safeties. Jarrell Peppers did an excellent job in this game blitzing. We saw some interesting fake blitzes where the Giants were playing all guys around the scrimmage and then ended up rushing three or rushing four and confusing Carson Wentz. On the early... um, pass deflection that uh, James Bradbury had it was a really good play where the Giants bluffed three guys off the edge like they were going to get a quick pressure and it made Carson Wentz kind of want to you know throw that quick game on that third and short and ultimately he waited too long he hitched back and his footwork was unbelievably sloppy and it led to the ball coming out high somewhat behind his receiver and allowing Bradbury to make that play and that was a pick play that I guess is considered a natural pick play but it should have led to a first down if it wasn't for I think, what in my mind at least, what I saw from Patrick Graham there, which is the bluff blitz, kind of forcing Wentz off the spot a little bit to rush his decision-making, his throw, and then ultimately throwing off balance. So I thought they really did an excellent job. You talked a little bit a couple weeks ago about how when you watched Daniel Jones in that Monday night football game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, he kind of seemed rattled. He kind of seemed off of his game. That's how I felt with Wentz. Wentz had one drive where he was Superman, and he made that spinning throwback to Rager, and then he had another rip ball in there, I believe it was to Fulgham. Uh, I'm not positive on that one. I'll have to look back. But besides that one drive where he did look like the all-pro he was that one season, which now seems so long ago, he was rattled, and he was off all game, missing throws high. His footwork was incredibly sloppy. His pocket presence was terrible. And Dan Dugan put this up on Twitter. But there was a play late in the game where he got hit and brought down. And his offensive lineman didn't really pick him up. They just kind of stood around. There's weird body language going on between Wentz and the offensive line. That whole situation is extremely weird. Overall, I went into last season having Wentz on my tier below the elite quarterbacks like this is the next one of like four or five guys I think can join that tier I made the case I made long arguments with co- colleagues and co-workers about how I thought he was a better quarterback than Dak Prescott remember this is before the 2019 not before this season and since then these two-year period a case can be made that I don't even know right now if he's a better quarterback than Daniel Jones and I know for a fact when you factor in the contract versus what Daniel Jones has because Giants still have flexibility there because he's on his rookie deal there's no possible way I would rather Carson Wentz on my roster right now for that price so 
Excellent kudos to Patrick Graham for mixing things up a little bit. In my mind, using a little bit more men on third down, using some more single-eye hifty looks. But I also thought the Giants did an excellent job up front to kind of rattle Carson Wentz. A buddy of mine, Michael Kist, he writes for the Eagles for SB Nation. And over the offseason, he put an article together where he had to name the best quarterback in the NFC East. And he went with Dak Prescott. Now, mind you, the Eagles fan wanted to burn this guy alive. And Kiss was like, no, I'm just reviewing the film. This is just what I see. And as we saw, Dak Prescott came out this year and kind of lit the NFL on fire, despite his team being, you know, atrocious, specifically his defense. And now you look at Wentz, it's like Kiss was really onto something. I don't know what exactly he saw, but Wentz, early on in this game, before he even had a chance to get rattled, was just missing throws high. You just tell, like you said, his mechanics were just all jacked up. And in this game, he was pressured 25 times. Now, that's not necessarily just because the offensive line is terrible. It's also a product of Patrick Graham, but it's also because Carson Wentz just holds on to the damn football so freaking long. This is the most the Giants have pressured any team except for the Eagles in their first matchup, which was 26 times. The Giants are just able to get after this guy because he is indecisive and he's not trusting his reads and it just seems like he's struggling to kind of figure out what the Giants are doing now. We saw that drive in their first matchup where he was able to lead the team down and that's kind of the the upside of Carson Wentz. But man, he just looked lost on Sunday. And I mean, as a Giants person, I mean, I'm all about it, especially when it's by the New York Giants who are kind of forcing him to do that because his defense their secondary played excellently in this game and we're going to get into individual players but Philadelphia Eagles are lucky they were able to kind of do something on the ground which was kind of a product of the fact the Giants were running a lot of like two four five type looks they would only have two down linemen put them at a round three technique maybe the one to the the boundary would be at a two eye technique and they were able to kind of run on those types of looks Giants adjusted in the second half, started putting three guys down, and they started using wham blocks as an adjustment to kind of take out Dalvin Tomlinson, which was a way they were able to kind of sustain the rushing attack through the second half. They did that on two plays. One was a really big play, really nice wham block. A wham block is kind of like a trap, only it's on an interior defensive lineman. So Dalvin Tomlinson is left unblocked by the offensive line. The offensive line just basically runs away from him to climb up to the second level, get the linebacker, and then he's just basically hit by an H-back that he does not see coming. It's like a trap block, only it's called a wham because it's on the interior of the line. That's the way the Eagles were able to sustain their rushing attack in the second half. That was kind of a an adjustment that they made. But they were able to run the football on the Giants. They were not able to pass the football. And in high-leverage situations, James Bradbury and this team were able to kind of come through and really help secure this victory for the Giants. Yeah, you're 100% right. And I know I'm forgetting the name of who it was, but shout out to whoever on Twitter asked us why, I believe it was Davin Anderson asked us why the Giant, why the Eagles were able to run the ball so well on the Giants. I think Nick explained it right. First of all, they did an excellent job taking Dalvin Tomlinson out of the run game, which is the key in my mind to having a chance against the Giants in the run game. But it also is the way the Giants played that. Like Nick said, there were a lot of two men, two down fronts um, with just those kind of star and the star at the edge and those, those guys playing really off the line of scrimmage at edge, standing up a lot of the time. So it lends itself to you know, you being able to run if you're diverse with your run game. The Eagles had some pulling plays that worked really well against this. And like you, like Nick said, they used some wham blocks to take Dalvin Tomlins out of the game. Ultimately, I'm fine with this. You know, in a game like this, 
if you can just completely eliminate the passing game, and like I said, Carson Wentz had that one heroic drive where he had that spin out of the sack, threw back to Rager for 18, ripped the ball in there, and then ripped the ball into a tight window and showed off that like zip and arm talent that he has. But besides that, he really didn't make any plays in the passing game. There was almost nothing else to look at in this game that you said, okay, Carson Wentz chewed up this zone or threw between his own. And we've seen that happen before. I mean, Alex Smith just came off a game. The Giants just came off a game where they let Alex Smith complete t- average over 10 yards per per attempt and to throw for 325 yards in less than three quarters he was chewing through the zone and in this game that wasn't the case the Giants did a really good job I think part of that was that they did give up some some plays in the run game and they made it a little bit easier for the Eagles to run the football but at the expense of what the Eagles lost in the passing game and there's a lot of players that played a role in stopping this passing game um i don't know where you want to start who you want to start with we could start with bradbury who had some incredible pass pass breakups the key fourth down and 10 where he just gets in front of the ball and stops it the key third down i discussed earlier where he shows the recognition to fight through that natural quote-unquote pick play um and just ultimately just a guy that you just can't afford to throw at if you want to try to complete a pass at this point I think it starts with him. You can also give credit to the defensive line, the interior defensive line, the the big guys we talk about a lot. A lot of them had some really good pressures in this game. Obviously, Leonard Williams, man. It just continues with this dude. Like He's playing relentless football right now, really breaking out in front of our eyes within this system, I believe. I think a lot of it has to do with Patrick Graham and him, for sure. Leonard Williams is a great player, but he's being maximized. His talent's being maximized within this system. What did he have, five quarterback hits in this game and a sack? I mean, he was all over the field. Five quarterback hits, seven hurries, a sack. A lot of those were— That's big-time yeah, numbers. A lot of those were also Patrick Graham with excellent stunts, and he was yep. running them. Again, stunts, you need to be cohesive as a unit. You need to execute your movements at the perfect timing to kind of maximize your ability to beat the offensive line, and he's able to do that. He looks really, really nimble, man. He looks really, really quick with his feet and his ability to kind of shoot these gaps either as a penetrator or as a looper so I mean he's been doing an excellent job with that for sure also I think we got to give a little kudos to some other defensive linemen guys who do not play that many snaps BJ Hill and Austin oh Johnson both BJ flashed. Hill man BJ Hill played 18 snaps Austin Johnson played 17 Austin Johnson had three really nice plays in the run game BJ Hill there was one drive I think it was the last drive of the first half where BJ Hill who jumped off sides actually ironically enough but other than that he was the reason the drive stalled he ends up basically sacking Carson Wentz I don't think it was credited as a sack because Wentz ended up falling past the line of scrimmage but he just dominates Jason this is this is if you want to see the best rep I think of any defensive player in this entire game go to first and 10 or I'm sorry second and 10 from the Philadelphia 11 102 remaining in the second quarter this is after the Giants made what I consider a very controversial punt from from fourth and one at the Eagles 44 something I would just never do but regardless BJ Hill made it all okay he's lined up right over the nose right over the center and he just totally destroys Jason Kelsey here with an with an arm over swim move quick penetration this is bj hill at his best his ability to just get upfield and disrupt so quickly carson wentz fumbles the snap and that kind of helps lead him towards going forward i think if he handles the snap normally he's going to get into his drop and hill's just going to get a sack here easy instead it turns into i guess a one yard gain 
for Carson Wentz here and not credited with the sack, but this is one of the best reps of the entire game. Absolutely, and just on the first and ten on that same drive, B.J. Hill gets his hand up and deflects the pass yep. that was going to go to Miles Sanders, possibly could have got a first down, but you know how the Giants' defense is. They rallied to the football, played top down, so it would have maybe been like a six-yard gain, kind of kept the drive going along, but he ends up getting his hand up there, and that's something that we see Dalvin Tomlinson do. It's something we applaud Dalvin Tomlinson for, but it was another just excellent rep again against Jason Kelsey, who I feel like really struggles against the New York Giants. I don't know if it's just these these incredibly strong defensive tackles that he may struggle against, but I feel like Dalvin Tomlinson always gets the best of him. Last season, Dalvin Tomlinson, I feel like really broke out. I feel like he was good the year before, though, at the same time, just kind of underrated. In all four of these games, I felt like even though the Eagles won three of them, Dalvin Tomlinson kind of always got the best of Jason Kelsey. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I don't know what the reasoning is for that. It might just be matchup-based, but you're definitely spot on there. I thought there were a lot of really good reps that I wanted to point out in this game that made a difference and ultimately stood out to me on the defense side of the ball. First and 10 when the Eagles were at the Giants 49 was 6.59 in the second quarter. Still a spot here where, honestly, this is a key moment in the game. The Eagles can get the momentum that they never got in that first half by making a play here and Dalvin Tomlinson just completely blows up this play here and leaves no chance of it happening by getting immediate pressure upfield on Carson Wentz and forcing he's trying to throw back here on the you know the, it's kind of one of those plays where the tight end blocks and then tries to leak out blocks down on the edge and then tries to leak out but there's no time for him to throw to the leak out because Dalvin Tomlinson's all over him which the Giants are really lucky for that because it was a play action and the Giants really bit hard on this. Luckily, Dalvin Tomlinson's able to split the down block from the guard, and the guard never really gets a good shot at him. It's just an excellent understanding of angles. Dalvin Tomlinson takes a perfect angle for where the running play was. If this was a running play, Dalvin Tomlinson would have murdered Miles Sanders, but it's not, and it doesn't matter because Dalvin Tomlinson's able to just bounce off one of his linemen and just force this incomplete pass and knock Carson Wentz to the deck because this would have easily been a first down by Travis Fulgham, who was wide open because the Giants brought a little bit and bit on the play action here. Yeah, and then on the very next play, this is, again, a key moment in this game. If the Eagles put together one or two string, two plays in a row, they're right back in this game. And then Jarrell Peppers comes up with just an unbelievable rep on this play to shoot this and limit this to a no gain in the run game. And this is just all Peppers here. Yeah, this was a little pin and pull concept. They were running it to the tight end side. They had one tight end, and they had a receiver going in motion to kind of shore up the play side of the run. And Jabril kind of drops down right off the butt of Kyler Fackrell. And this is another 2-4-5 type of look, an easier front to run on. It's something the Giants kind of rolled out there quite a bit, the four linebackers being the two edge guys. And then it was typically... Blake Martinez and David Mayo, but Devontae Downs also got worked in there. I actually thought Devontae Downs, <laughs> you're not going to hear me say this all that. I thought Devontae Downs looked significantly better than Mayo. I think I might have mentioned that in last week's episode. I think Downs is a better player than Mayo. At this he point. is a better player than Mayo. I've been off the Mayo train for a long damn time, and that's not just because I don't like it on my sandwiches. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, um, but back to the Jabril Peppers play before we kind of scold Mayo a little bit later. He's just so instinctual to just beat Jalen Rager to the block point. Rager just kind of comes off of it and goes to the linebacker hoping that the pulling guard would pick up Peppers, but the pulling guard didn't expect Peppers to be there. Yeah. And Peppers just runs right away from him and just nails Miles Sanders. Peppers is 
excellent near the line of scrimmage. He's coming along in coverage, and he's also really good in the flat because of his athletic ability. So he's just he's incredibly valuable to what Patrick Graham wants to do at the second level of this defense. Yeah, I mean, the Eagles came out of this half with, what, three points in the first half? Just a total dominant performance by the Giants defense. There are two drives of the game. You can point to the one where B.J. Hill completely takes over a drive at the end of the half, or you can point to this drive because finally on third and 11, right after those first two plays we just broke down, they're at midfield, by the way. When this drive starts on first and 10, before that Dalvin rep, before that Jabril rep on second and 10, they're at midfield. They're threatening to score. And on third and 11, I love what Patrick Graham does here because he gets creative with Logan Ryan coming down late to blitz here. It looks like Ryan's going to be in a too high safety look, but instead he kind of comes down really late, blitzes off the edge, and because he comes down so late from this too high look, He's free, and I love the idea of pressuring on third and 11. Remember, earlier in the season, the Giants had some struggles when they, in this play, by the way, they ultimately sent six pass rushers with Ryan coming down late. But if you remember early in the season, like think back to the Bears game in week two, when the Giants had that play where Mitchell Jabriskie, where they tried to rush three on that third and long, and Mitchell Jabriskie hang back there, hung back there, and he's bouncing around, he's bouncing around, and then he finds Darnell Mooney, who beat like, uh, who was it? It wasn't even Bradbury. I think it was Ryan Lewis or whoever it was playing corner two at that point on that touchdown pass. That's Corey Ballantyne. It was Ballantyne at the time, and he just has all day back there. And you saw less of that. In this game, he was more willing to pressure Carson Wentz on these third and long situations. And this was just such a really disguised blitz with Ryan coming down from that too high look late. And he just runs free. And Wentz tries to throw the vertical, but it's completely rushed by Ryan coming free at him. And he feels Ryan. And this ball's just way off. Yeah, and Yidem does a good job kind of pushing Rager to the sideline and restricting his space to operate, kind of riding him off the red line, as a lot of people in the scouting community like to say. So you got to applaud Yidem when he does something well. He hasn't been as big of a liability as he was earlier in the season because of the zone concepts that Patrick Graham runs, even though this specific play was more of a man type of look. Yeah. There were definitely some moments in this game where he used more man coverage, on, especially on third downs. And remember, Eagles went 0 for 9 on third down in this game. This was the first time since 2004. 2004, that's insane, where the Eagles didn't convert a third down in a football game. That's absolutely nuts. To hold the team to 0 for 9 on third down is so ridiculously difficult to do. And Patrick Graham was able to do it, and I think a testament it's a testament to some of the mixed looks he showed. I love the play earlier. We discussed it. I think we discussed it already, but the play with Bradbury where he forces that pass breakup. Like Graham's has a single high look from the start of this, but he basically has like three guys, both 51 and 54, and Peppers, all bluffing blitz on this play before dropping off. And this is exactly why it rushes the throw for Carson Wentz. And those are the type of things, those little things that he does here, man, um, that just make me so excited when I watch Patrick Graham's defenses because he's not working with the most talented group. The Giants have literally not used a first-round pick on defensive player, even though they've had top six pick for three straight years. In three straight years, they have an injury to their only high draft pick, basically the second rounder in McKinney. Um, They've done some, you know, they have Dexter Lawrence, obviously, in there as well. Yeah. But that was one of the draft picks. But they lost Andre Baker. So this is a team that's not really – he's not – that's a defensive coordinator that's not really working with the most talented group. And yet they're really playing these past few weeks and really over the course of the season, in my mind at least, as one of the better defenses in the NFL. They're starting to really establish themselves as a tough defense. And credit to Graham, man, and these guys that play for him. But credit to Graham because he's doing a lot of interesting things. And he's even incorporating plays, and he's done it in the past as well, where – 
half the side of the field is in man coverage, the other half is in zone coverage, and you have Jabril Peppers and Logan Ryan or Julian Love, whichever one, playing kind of deep half, kind of like a two high safety look, but they're kind of monitoring the receivers coming from the zone side to see if they need to pick up them in the man side, if you know what I'm saying. So it's very, very creative, and they also bring five-man pressure packages sometimes when they do certain things like that. They did it something similar to this, first and 10, second quarter, 9.02 left, and it was just a short little pass to Jalen Rager for six yards right to the middle of the zone, and Blake Martinez comes down hard on him and just nails him to the ground. So I like the fact that he's has these kind of more complex coverages because compare him to James Betcher from last year his coverages are much more simplified much more easier to understand but he also has plays like this that are a little bit more complex and he also has plays that are simple and easy to understand but they're tough for quarterbacks to read and diagnose like the play where Alex Smith threw the interception to Logan Ryan that inverted kind of cover two look where that single high safety pre-snap kind of just stays right in the middle of the field and kind of baits the quarterback to throw to any inside breaking route it's just there's a lot of diverse coverages from this guy there's a lot of diverse fronts and he's just been excellent at kind of adjusting his defense to what the offense is trying to do and kind of winning those adjustments yeah no doubt about it all right we're going to talk a little bit more about individual players we also want to get to some news there's been some news for the giants this week um deandre baker Maybe the return after the bye week of Xavier McKinney. Before we do any of that, though, we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. 2020 has reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, and you can pause your account at any time. And there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. visiting Indeed each month, according to Comscore. Again, total visits. So it's clear Indeed can help get you the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is the best offer available anywhere go right now to indeed.com slash blue wire all one word offer valid through december 31st terms and conditions apply football is back in full swing baby you might not be at a game this year but you can still be in on the action at bet online bet online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props bet online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. 
You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day. Head to Bet Online online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook expert. So, Nick, I don't know where you've been this week, but as long as you haven't been living under a rock... Troglodyte. What? Troglodyte, somebody who lives under a rock. Wow, I've never heard that word in my life, and I consider myself somebody who has a pretty extensive and expansive vocabulary. Huh, well... Somebody who isn't necessarily aware of things living under that, a rock. That's the type of guy yeah. who reads the ads the way he reads the ads. <laughs> now you now you have a little bit of a better idea of what's going on there. But as long as you're not troglodyte, I guess, <laughs> if that's the way to pronounce this ridiculous word, but impressive nonetheless. DeAndre Baker, all charges have been dropped. He's out of it. Now, if you read that story, holy crap, is that a weird story. Mm-hmm. I had to talk to like four different lawyers. Shout out Aaron Parler. Shout out Brett Childs, two of my best friends. One of my best home friends, Eric Parler, and one of my best college friends, Brett Childs, two lawyers, to figure out what the hell was going on there. What I've come to after talking to them and a few others is that it's still uncertain. He could still very well be guilty, but based on the way they handled this case, there is no case anymore against DeAndre Baker. And so there's no way he's going to face legal discipline from the legal system. He may still face that discipline from the NFL. But... Charges have all been dropped, and tonight, actually, the, as we're recording this podcast on Tuesday night, he's been signed to the Chiefs practice squad. I think he'll be elevated pretty shortly there. I actually predicted on the last podcast, I think you mentioned it, or maybe we talked about this on Twitter, that the Chiefs would sign him. I think he's known as a good man corner. Spags runs to, loves to run a lot of men there. He's going to join Steve Sagnolo, a guy who really believes in second chances. Um, and a really good coach and a good person off the field, I think he's going to get the most out of him. I think we're going to see DeAndre Baker in the playoffs this year. I think it's almost a guarantee that Giants fans are going to have to watch the playoffs because the Chiefs are going really far. It's, it, they're probably going to win it all. Yeah. I mean, And yeah. I think there's a really good chance that we're going to see DeAndre Baker on the field when we're watching the playoffs this year. It's going to sting me a bit, Nick, because I get the whole culture thing, and I don't know exactly what was going on off the field. And I talked to Art Stapleton buddy of mine obviously you guys know him one of the best Giants beat guys one of probably only two Giants beat guys I actually think does a good job with it I won't mention the other one but that gives you a hint that one of them is art (laughs) there's some really bad ones Uh, I'm not going to get into that either but he made a good point he said listen I think they made this decision based more so on what happened before the arrest everything that went down during his rookie season, the type of... Here's the deal. One of the reasons they're keeping... Remember a couple weeks ago when Evan Ingram was floated around as a trade destination guy at the trade deadline, coming off literally the game-losing drop against the Eagles? And the Giants came out, or a report came out, and said the Giants have no interest in trading Ingram, and they believe he's a part of their future. One of the reasons is because Ingram's an incredibly hard worker, someone who comes into that building day in and day out, focused on getting better and improving. The Giants put high value on those type of players, those really hard workers. And ultimately, this makes me feel, through talking to Art and just using my common sense, that they didn't believe DeAndre Baker was going to be a fit from that standpoint. Now, I'm someone who believes in second chances personally, and I'm someone who believes that something like this could completely flip the script for this guy's entire career and who he is as a person, an athlete, a hard worker, things of all of that nature. We'll have to see. Time will tell. Um, But obviously, the Giants, 
they moved on. They didn't want him part. They made the decision that he wasn't going to be part of this culture, and they moved on. But man, it's going to sting to watch him play. For the in my mind, it's going to really sting to watch him play for the Chiefs in the playoffs, which I'm very confident he will. Here's a guy who Nick was probably his. Big, and I'll let you get into it in a second. But you were probably his biggest supporter last year when every single person knocked him. When all the Giants fans who just looked at the box scores or just didn't understand why why the system played such a role in his struggles. And we know he had some issues. We heard rumors, reports of him sleeping through meetings, whatever. But in those last four games of the season, he came on strong. And I wrote an article earlier this season for CBS Sports, earlier this offseason. He was one of my three guys I thought would break out. Him, Hernandez, Ingram. I thought they were all perfect fits for the system. That was when I thought Patrick Graham was going to run almost exclusively man coverage like he did in Miami. That's what good coaches do. They adjust off their personnel. Exactly. But... It just makes me think, man, if he did have a DeAndre Baker and this was more like the Baker that he was the two years before he joined the Giants in the SEC where he was shutting down corners week in and week out on an island in man coverage or the Baker that I saw a little bit of down the stretch and that you saw for most of the season, a guy who stayed in phase in coverage who is actually much better in that regard than you're going to see from Yadam, than you're going to see from... And it's night and day from all these guys. He had mental mistakes. He had mislapses in in the secondary. He was asked to do things he didn't adjust too well. He obviously didn't do an excellent job of learning what James Betcher tried to teach him. He probably tried to teach him all sorts of things that he didn't learn at all at Georgia. And he had to completely kind of reverse what he learned at Georgia. This is my guesstimation based on what I know about Betcher's system, what I know about his rookie season, Baker, and what I know about the Georgia system. And he didn't pick up quick, but... It seems to me like Patrick Graham's a different kind of teacher than James Betcher and someone who can help guys like this pick up things quickly. And we've seen a lot of turnover in the Giants secondary. And despite all the turnover this season in the Giants secondary, it seems like all those guys are picking things up fast and able to contribute pretty fast. So I don't see why DeAndre Baker would be any different. So yeah, Nick, it's going to sting because I think if you did put Baker in and they got him to that level he was at when he was playing at his best at Georgia, they would be able to do a lot more on defense. They'd be able to play a lot more man and have success in that regard. And Baker would be somebody who could make some really good plays and potentially shut down another side of the field and be that missing piece because ultimately I'm a huge believer at this point in pass coverage over pass rush as I watch teams like the Dolphins and the Patriots, not less so this year with all the opt-outs, and the Ravens shut down passing games. And the Giants are now a corner, one more corner, one more boundary away from accomplishing that goal and you see it week in and week out the way that Patrick Graham designs his defense it's so it would be so helpful to have that CB2 so for me man it is a little disappointing it's gonna sting a little bit an innocent DeAndre Baker would be excellent for this defense right now it would be and it seems like the only thing this guy is going to be stealing is a ring to be honest because he's going to be getting hardware and all of us Giants fans are going to have to sit there and be like, okay, you know, applaud it. And, you know, and tip your hat to him because if this guy is fully innocent, like it, it's really unfortunate what he had to go through. The Giants made a decision to move on from him based on, like you said, probably things that were also prevalent within him from his rookie season. So it's just a kind of you got to bite the bullet and, and move on and just kind of accept the fact that you might be seeing a uh, person who should be a Giant right now holding a Lombardi trophy. And let us know, for those of you who enjoy the podcast, which joke was actually worse, Nick's or mine's? Mine about not liking mayo on the sandwich or Nick's about stealing a ring. I think they're equally 
not good and Nick's oh, looking no, at no, me right no, now no, like no, no, like no, his no. joke was like great and like so clever and like he was like not only he loves this joke so much i saw him tweet it and he now brought it up on the show at least my oh, mayo no. joke was quick off the top of my head i wasn't expecting to do it and it just kind of fell into place this one he thought was so good that he literally tweeted it and just brought it up oh yeah i have no there's no issue with me tweeting it and bringing it up this is not i mean that great there of a is line, there is an irony ring. there's irony in the fact that this guy was kicked off the giants because he was accused of stealing and now he's going to be stealing a ring. Was that lost on you? Because by, by judging by your face, I think that was lost on you. I, that, was, that was quite, it was certainly not lost on me. All right, good. It was pretty obvious. I don't think it was lost on anyone who listened to the podcast. But what we could ask, of the listeners at least, is does anyone else think that was as clever as Nick does? Because he's just stunned right now. He's, I'm not he's, stunned. He's stunned that I, I don't think it was me. the most clever thing ever. I think it's a nice little throwaway line. It's a nice tagline, as they say in comedy. Well, we'll, we'll have to see what the listeners no, think. Let's too. go with your mayo joke, though. It's, it's <laughs> yeah, no, very, very the, clever. Very the, clever. May, the mayo one I know wasn't good. <laughs> the mayo one was purposely bad. This one, you you honestly thought, this is like, you, you're so happy, you're smiling year to year, you said it on Twitter, you're saying it on the podcast, you're like, ooh, look at me, I came up with something great, he's stealing a ring, you get it, he stole this, now well, he's he stealing steal this, this. He's, he's accused of stealing this, so let us know, fans of the hey, podcast. I think the whole story that surrounds DeAndre Baker was absolutely crazy, and it would be ironic that if the only thing the guy ends up stealing is a freaking ring, is a Lombardi trophy. Well, I won't exactly say he would be stealing it if he Absolutely plays not. meaningful Absolutely not. It's snaps. called joking, Dan. Oh, yeah. We know. We we get that to someone. Maybe there is someone out there who finds this funny. Maybe not. No, at this point, probably not, to be honest, because we're belaboring <laughs> the point. Well, it, well see, let us know if you initially laughed at this joke or found it to be insanely clever. And if you saw that— I never claimed it was insanely I think clever, you, Dan. But, but let us know quickly because I think Nick, uh, already judging from his tweet deck, I think he already has 17 more scheduled tweets with this no, joke I, in, I have in different forms. So one, let us know quick so he can, tweet he, can take, he can take these scheduled tweets off. There's a few more stealing the ring jokes in there. So just <laughs> let him know quick so he can get it out of his scheduled tweets. So if it's not that funny, he doesn't, he doesn't want to schedule it seven times, but— Yes, DeAndre Baker, no longer a New York football giant, now a member of the Chiefs practice squad, where I don't think he'll be there long because this is a really talented dude. And ultimately, this is part of my issue. We're not going to get into this now with Mr. David Gettleman getting more time here because it's a process issue. You cannot afford to trade three picks for a player and then have him not be on the football team one year later. I get it. Bad luck, quote-unquote. We don't know who was making that call either. That could have been a judge call. Regardless, he's not on the roster anymore. Yeah. He traded. This is and the point is it's a process issue. It's not result based. It's three picks went in. This is what happens when you trade three picks one guy. And even if DeAndre Baker was just really bad his whole career, but played for the Giants for the first rookie contract, it's still part of the issue. The process is when you're trading all those assets for one pick, you put yourself at a higher risk point because you're just doubling down on your on your own evaluation you're saying i can outsmart this draft the draft is not something you can outsmart when you see a gold jacket in daquan barkley's future and everyone else is laughing at you for thinking that the second overall pick is worth a running back there might be a reason for it but this is not a dave gettleman bashing podcast when the news when the news comes in that the giants are going to retain gettleman we're going to do something on that because nick is convinced that he'll be back I, Um, i i do believe he'll probably be back yeah I'm way less convinced. I think the Giants will need to make the playoffs or win six or seven games for Dave Gettleman to be back. And I don't necessarily—I won't burn the world down if he is back, to be honest. 
I'm not going to burn the world down, but I think it's a terrible decision to make, and I don't think you can bring with a you can't bring someone back with a flawed prospect process and expect that to be a good decision long term. Mm-hmm. And I just don't trust this guy with any more drafts. So I just hope. I mean, he did a great job in free agency, but free agency he's also done poor jobs in free agency. He signed Patrick Omame, he signed Nate Solder. Yeah. So it's not like this flawless I've track st- record. I've stated this a couple of times. For me, it comes down to who you're replacing him with. Is there a candidate that you guys really like? Does he mesh well with Joe Judge? What's the relationship with Joe Judge and Gettleman? All these things that we we probably won't know, to be honest. That that kind of go into how I would view that and I'm just kind of like laying it's laying it at the feet of the Giants saying just please make the best damn decision yeah sure same same here I mean like obviously we all want the best for this team I just have trouble getting on board with someone who doesn't really understand draft capital in my mind um in the mind of a lot of people and he's not proven just that you know, he, yeah yeah but anyway back to the Giants back to the all 22 let's dive into a little bit more news some people are assuming Xavier McKinney will be returning after the bye week I don't really know why there's, there's an assumption there. He underwent the surgery right at the end of August, I believe, and it was originally supposed to sideline him for two to three months, but McKinney hasn't really been practicing. He's been doing light stuff on the sidelines, and there hasn't been any confirmation he'll be back after the bye week, but what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that they should kind of rush him along, or wh- wh- how do you think they're going to approach the McKinney situation? I don't think they should rush him along. I think when he's ready, he's ready to go, and then you get him in there so he can get some experience, and we can see what we have in him and see what kind of role he can handle in Patrick Graham's defense. I think just from everything we saw in college and kind of what Nick Saban put on this kid's plate, I think he can handle a really, really important role with a lot of responsibility, which can allow you to employ Logan Ryan, Julian Love even, and Jabril Peppers in a variety of different ways. So I'm really excited to see him and whenever he can come back. I don't think you should rush him back, though. No, yeah, I guess rushing back was not the way right, to phrase that. But what I more so meant is, do you feel like it's po- going to be possible for him to play that role we originally envisioned for him? And ultimately, he will play in Patrick Graham's defense, if not this season, the next. This season, because, again, remember, he's coming off a broken foot and that means he hasn't been able to really run much as he's healing from this. Who knows what kind of, if he's going to be anywhere near game shape. Now he hasn't played football in months, and he hasn't had much experience in the system. He has to learn a whole new system with Patrick Graham than what he played in with Saban, or what he played in with anyone, no matter where he's coming from. And so I'll be interested to see like if he can have even any kind of impact. I think he's ultimately going to play a little bit down the stretch, but I'm going to temper my expectations this year for McKinney. I agree with everything you said. I'd love to see him in this a healthy McKinney from week one having practiced all offseason. I'd love to see in this defense. I think he can take it to the next level. He's one of the most exciting pieces we're going to get back in a long time. Like Even going into next draft, he might be one of the more exciting pieces, especially when you just consider how much secondary players what kind of role these secondary players play in this specific style of defense. But I think that fans need to temper their expectations for a guy who, you know, has suffered a broken foot, hasn't really been able to stay in football shape in my mind, and is not. there's not really any of those reports yet that he's, like, immediately coming back after the bye or that the expectation is that he'll be right back in. And whenever he does come back, he's probably going to get a, just a little compliment of snaps, 20 snaps, 25 yeah, snaps, first. and then kind of work his way back up to see uh, what he can actually handle because, like you said, he's probably going to be somewhat out of game shape. Yeah, exactly. So we'll have to see what happens there. But let's talk a little bit more about this game, the All-22 from the Eagles game and just this Giants defense. Who do you want to dive into next that really stood out to you? Because I have a few guys and a few plays that – really caught my attention in this game when I was watching the All-22. I thought that 
it was a good game for Darnay Holmes. Specifically, there was a third down that really stood out to me. It was a third and 11 from the Philly 29 in the third quarter as time rolled down with 119 left where Holmes made just a really good break on the football to force the incompletion to get, I, this, I would consider this a PBU. He, he rips the ball out of the receiver's hands and it goes to the ground. The way he breaks on this is what really stood out to me. It's a lot of recovery speed here because he's coming from a spot across the field, basically from the middle of the field, breaking on this out route. And he gets there in time, basically when the football gets there and he forces the incompletion. Yeah, the Eagles are in a tight bunch and basically their outermost receiver is about three and a half to four yards off the hash. So everything, there's so much space outside. Darnay Holmes is basically directly in the middle of the field. And what he's going to do is take the innermost receiver who's running an out route after the number one and number two receiver run clear out. So the innermost receiver, Greg Ward, kind of chips the end man on the line of scrimmage. Darnay Holmes has to work through the traffic. And the angle that he takes and the acceleration and the explosiveness that he shows is very impressive. He was the next player I was going to dive into as well. And he just runs through the receiver kind of disrupts that catch point and then forces that PBU, that incomplete pass. And I also think that the play where he was penalized for Mm -hmm. defensive pass interference was a solid rep from him. I think that could have easily, I think it was Greg Ward, I think that could have easily been OPI on Greg Ward, who kind of put his hands on Darnay Holmes' chest. Now, Darnay doesn't get his head around, but Darnay Holmes doesn't initiate contact. Right. Uh, the Eagles receiver puts his hands on his chest, and then it was just kind of a physical play. To me, that's something you just don't flag. I just don't think you could flag that at all, and they did. I thought it was solid other than the fact that he didn't get his head around. Yeah, and I think another reason I like that you brought up that play is because it's another example of great recovery speed by Darnay Holmes because the receiver actually got a really clean release off the line of scrimmage. He had a really nice move to create separation, and yet Holmes was able to recover and get back the ball. Yes, it was flagged for interference on the play, but I think that is goes along the lines of less so conspiracy against the Giants, Nick, which sometimes comes out when it comes to the penalties, and more so Nick has a case, and we both have a case. Whoa, whoa, I agree. You, you're trying to insinuate that I have a conspiracy against the Giants? I think Just because they have Hawkeyes sometimes with the Giants? I think the fact that you think it's possible the refs have Hawkeyes against the Giants proves that you might have some conspiracial is conspirational a word? No, no. Conspiratorial. Conspiratorial? That that definitely doesn't sound like a word. (laughs) I think conspirational (laughs) sounds better. Neither sound great, but conspiratorial is definitely not a word. Whatever it may be, against the Giants. And I understand Uh, What what I'm saying is they they tend to see little ticky-tacky penalties against the Giants. That doesn't mean they're actually actively trying to throw the Giants away or say, hey, the Giants, sure. you guys I are I know bad. what you're That's... saying, but I'm also not sure I can get on board with them having specifically looking for ticky tie penalties on the Giants. I don't Whatever, think though. they're consciously doing it, Dan. <laughs> I'm just saying. Oh, unconsciously doing it. Of course, they're not consciously being like, oh, it's the Giants. That's a ticky tacky penalty. Let me flag it. Okay, okay. I don't know. I don't know. It is what it is, but I will agree with you on this one. I think this flag can be held in the pocket. I don't think Absolutely. they need to call it. And so... Regardless of that, it's excellent recovery speed by Holmes, a player who I think is developing within the system. He's not playing perfect football yet, but he's somebody who is intriguing to say the very least. Yes, Darnay Holmes has been playing, I would say, solid in the entire rookie season. He yes. has some mistakes, but it's those it's the athletic ability that he keeps showing and the fact that he's not at a position and he doesn't seem overwhelmed. Yep. Like We loved Corey Ballantyne's athletic ability. I still think he's a really good athlete, but he was just overwhelmed with the mental side of things. Yep. He was always out of position. His footwork and his technique weren't there. Darnay Holmes doesn't necessarily have that problem. Yeah, so, how many times can you remember us this season 
on this podcast or you guys watching the games looking at a play and be like oh darn it Holmes got beat on that play or like there's 30 getting beat the big play 30 gave up and that happened a lot last season with the Giants young corners oh. Baker and Ballantyne Baker and Ballantyne were the victim of a lot of plays like that oh Baker and Ballantyne were geez it was terrible last year yeah Ballantyne there was the uh, I think it was the Packer game where Aaron Rodgers just targeted him oh, on was every single play yeah. I actually like legit felt bad for him because he was also playing out of his position in the slot because Grant Haley was terrible now with Holmes we don't have to deal with that yeah Holmes has transitioned that's another thing that you got to like about Holmes he's a player who really had to transition to a position he's never really played he played the boundary at UCLA it didn't matter that at that point that he had short arms and, and he was like and he was sub six foot now he's playing a new position and he's playing it really well from a transition standpoint point he's made it absolutely man and uh Blake Martinez I don't know if you saw this but in the fourth quarter there was a third and 10 with 252 left and I know Blake Martinez takes a lot of crap people say he can't cover but on this specific play he covers a wheel route very very well I don't know if you ended up seeing this but the wheel route goes outside and Blake Martinez just cuts the angle off and just gets right to Boston Scott's hip and rides him out of bounds and Scott ends up falling down and then Dexter Lawrence ends up sacking Carson Wentz and I just thought it was funny because we don't really see Blake Martinez in man coverage all that often and this is a hard play too because Blake Martinez is kind of faking like he's gonna blitz from directly in the middle of the field and the running back is offset to the other side and he's able to kind of cover the ground so quickly it looks really really fast while doing so just totally cuts the angle off and forces the running back into the sideline and onto the ground eventually yeah and how many times in the past have we seen this Giants defense get beat by seams and wheel routes and the ability to have a linebacker who can cover ground on that and take that play out of the playbook at times for the other team and obviously it's not perfect I mean we saw the Giants get beat on on a route somewhat similar uh, against the Eagles kind of lose that game with Jabril Peppers but you know on this specific rap Blake Martinez does an excellent job and that's another tip in his hat to what really is turning into an all-pro resume in my mind from him oh yeah he's been playing very well but the other linebacker number 55 not so much there were a couple plays one specifically uh, third quarter, seven seventeen left. It was a second and two, where he reads his run keys and he reacts, and he's just too slow to realize that it's a play action, and that happens a little bit too often with David Mayo. And right behind his head, what happens? Carson Wentz just dumps the ball right over right where he's supposed to be in his zone. It's the touchdown yeah. to Terry McLaurin from last week was the same thing. He thought it was a run play, bit yeah. up, and then had to turn his turn around and just start running to get to his spot drop and by that point Terry McLaurin was catching a pass Isaac Yadam misses the tackle rest is history and it turned into I seven can't points. wait to get Crowder back on the field for Mayo yes. Mayo is not good I don't know if Crowder is the long-term answer neither do I I think it's possible they're going to need it to upgrade again at ILB this offseason and inside linebacker. They didn't really do that great of a job of it this offseason. Let's be honest. They re-signed Mayo. They cut Connolly, and they drafted a couple seventh rounders. Yeah, but they, like, they also signed, obviously, Blake Martinez. But No, no, of course. Yeah, I mean, they yeah, needed yeah, Blake yeah. Martinez to replace Al Goldetree. But yeah. my point is, besides that, as far as like, because this was, a, in my mind, they went into the offseason needing multiple inside linebackers. I think the whole unit can, can improve. Uh, going into this offseason and now next offseason they have less like you said with Blake Martinez in there obviously that's short up to some degree but you're going to have snaps on the field where you have David Mayo who's a total liability and Dave Devontae Downs is a little bit better but not great so 
that's another position I'd love to see them upgrade. Another position I would put at more important to upgrade in my mind, at least than than even center with Nick Gates, who I you know we're starting to really easily, like. yeah. easily in my opinion. And, and again, we didn't think that going into this offseason, by no, the way. No. I mean they they took a lot of kicks at the can by drafting like four linebackers. They converted two of them to edge, which we figured Carter Coughlin yep. would be an edge. Cam Brown, I wasn't necessarily certain that they would kind of play him at edge. He has that build that was a little questionable about his flexibility, but in his limited snaps. He had two in this game. You could kind of see, okay, then maybe there's something to work with there. Obviously, Patrick Graham thinks there is, and he is a very intelligent guy. I'm not going to really question him when it comes to that. But you don't really see any TJ Brunson. And just seeing 25 snaps from David Mayo and 23 snaps from Devontae Downs just does not make me feel good whatsoever. I'm hoping with McKinney right. coming back, if McKinney comes back, that may force maybe lighter boxes. You won't see as many of these linebackers on the field, but I don't necessarily know if that will materialize. Yeah, and there are some snaps where you just need to have two of these guys on the field, uh, two of these inside linebackers based on the personnel the offense is using to kind of at least show like you have a chance to stop the run and to not let teams just completely gash you there. So ultimately, they do need another inside linebacker. It might be Crowder. Who knows? It's possible. It's definitely possible. We'll have to see. He flashed a little bit, but... We'll have to see what happens because he's hopefully going to come back. I thought if you guys want to see a fun rep from Carter Coughlin, by the way, who, again, played only a handful of snaps, three snaps, but made the most of them because one of the plays I thought he did an excellent job. Second and 10 from the Giants, 36 in the fourth quarter with 5.06 left when the Eagles are threatening here one of their last drives. Carter Coughlin gets his hand on this pass and it impacts the ball coming out and he can't get it to the flat for Miles Sanders and ultimately what could be a seven or eight yard gain and set up a, a third and manageable turns into a third and ten because Carter Coughlin does a really good job getting his hand on the ball. It's also going up against Lane Johnson who's arguably one of the best right tackles in the league and he does a solid job bull rushing yeah. him initially you know gets lower pad level hips are definitely lower but Lane Johnson is just incredibly good so he just kind of anchors down doesn't allow him to really kind of get to his second gear but heady play by Carter Coughlin, yep. who keeps kind of earning a slight role here. You know, he gets three snaps here, five snaps there, four snaps there every game, and it's usually in these high-leverage passing situations. Yep, and another play if you guys want to look at, first and 10 from the Philly 30 with 2.13 left in the third quarter. Again, really nice design by Graham and a really nice pressure from Jabil Peppers to force this throw away here. And the coverage was really good on that specific route too. The Eagles were in a three-by-one set. The three receiver, the innermost receiver, runs a post, and then the out, the two outer receivers run two under routes, just kind of quick ins. The Giants were in man coverage, two man under, and they just kind of blanket every receiver, which kind of forced Carson Wentz also to roll out that and also the pressure of Jabril Peppers coming off. Miles Sanders does a solid job kind of taking out Jabril Peppers, but since the coverage was so good, Wentz had to just get out of there as fast as possible, and then Dexter Lawrence and Jabril Peppers kind of flush him out of the pocket, forcing that throw away. Yeah, no doubt. And if you guys want to see something funny, a little throwback to the times, the old days where the Giants were playing week one, week two on Sunday Night Football against the Dallas Cowboys and consistently just having just embarrassing lapses in the offensive line, the days of Eric Flowers, the days of Bobby Hart, check out the flip side of this. Another team experiencing it, the Philadelphia Eagles. First and 10 from the Philly 18, 12.40 remaining in the fourth quarter. This is such a big moment in this game if Philly wants to have a chance to come back. And they just have an unbelievable gasp, a just a, a total miscue here from a communication standpoint on the offensive line that lets Trent Harris, and the Giants are just running a four-man pressure here with Peppers coming off the edge, who, by the way, gets a pressure around two blockers, a back who tries to block him and a tight end who tries to block him off the edge. 
but the Eagles just have a total miscommunication here. And Trent Harris just runs free to Wentz. Peppers also gets to him at the same time by beating the running back and tight end off the edge. And this is just reminiscent of the old Giants offensive line, the way that this team used to ruin drives and ruin games with just total miscommunications. And it's just so funny to me to watch this now on the flip side because the Giants haven't had too many of these this season. And when you see it with other teams, it's just such a refreshing thing to, to know that, you know, it's not happening as much to us anymore. It happens to other teams and it can really impact games because this, this killed that drive for the Eagles. Yeah, it wasn't even a tight end. It was actually the backside guard who pulled from the other side. And there was a lot of pre-snap motion as well because the Eagles suspected that Jabril Peppers was coming on this blitz. So they pulled the backside guard to help out because the rest of the line blocks down with the Giants defensive line kind of slanting to the other side. So it's going to be on the running back and that backside guard pulling to know, okay, I'm going to pick up the blitzer. You're going to pick up the edge because Lane Johnson's also going to block down, which I'm not 100% sure if Lane Johnson was supposed to because everybody was accounted for on the line and pre-snap, it didn't look like he was going to have an assignment there. But anyways, nobody blocks Trent Harris because both of the backside guard and the running back take Jabril Peppers and Jabril Peppers still beats them up the edge. Trent Harris hits Carson Wentz and Jabril Peppers finishes him off. Yeah, if you look at the play, they end up with Lane Johnson blocking down. It ends up being two, four Eagles to block two Giants edge guys. The third one, Trent Harris just runs free to the quarterback. And then the fourth one, Jabril Peppers, is going against a back who can't get there in time and a guard who's trying to pull to get there. It wasn't a tight end. I had a miscue earlier. A guard who's trying to pull to get there and just can't get there in time either. So it's just a total breakdown and miscommunication. I'm pretty sure that's on the guard. I think it's the guard's responsibility to block that edge and then it's on Boston Scott to pick up the blitzer because Boston Scott goes out there initially and I'm pretty I don't know if that guard thought that that edge was going to be accounted for by Lane Johnson. It seemed like the timing doesn't really make sense for that to be a fact. But either way, I mean, Giants are the beneficiary. Yeah, it's great to see. Anything else you want to touch on defensively? Any players, any system, any schemes, any play calls? No, I think that's good. I mean, I thought, like I said, Graham used a bunch of different fronts here, used a lot of 3-4, saw a little bit of 4-3 on the back end, saw cover two, saw man under, saw cover three, a lot of cover three, obviously, something that the Giants run a lot of saw some two three six as well the two uh two down linemen being three techniques and we saw a lot of just four linebackers out there if you include those edges as linebackers so that's kind of the overall personnel that they've been using it just makes me think if the giants had to upgrade that edge how much different this defense would look over trent harris and jabal sheard who aren't necessarily liabilities but they're just not guys who are going to provide a lot of value as edge rushers in terms of uh disrupting the pass consistently yeah I think you're right. I think they're going to make a big difference when they get more talent on the edge. I personally felt like this, to me, from watching all these games in all 22 week after week, this is my favorite game from Graham and the Giants defense because they totally took out a passing game, which I hadn't seen all season long. And that's exactly what happened to Philadelphia's passing game. They did not move the ball, save for a few plays, the entire game. So anyway, for those of you who enjoyed the podcast, as usual, we're only going to ask you for one thing or maybe two. The first one is leave us a rating and a review on iTunes, and we will read your reviews, five stars or not, as Kwamezilla can probably attest to. Do us another favor. Follow us on Instagram at NYBigBlueBanter. That's NYBigBlueBanter. And stay tuned, because even though the bye week is coming, we have some special content coming for you. The thing I'm most excited about is Mark Schofield will be joining the show. 
We'll be recording it this week, but it will air next week around the time where the All-22 usually drops. He's going to give a full breakdown from the film that he's watched, an outside perspective on Daniel Jones. He's also going to preview the 2021 quarterback class because I want to hear his thoughts on Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, maybe even a little Kyle Trask action. (laughs) So we'll have to see what happens. But Mark Schofield, friend of the show, in my mind, one of the best quarterback evaluators that we could possibly bring onto the show. One of the only people in the entire industry who's watching close to close to 32 quarterbacks a week on all 22. I'm sure he doesn't get to all 32, but everyone else who's making all these declarations about who's good and who's not. I don't know if you guys saw Matt Miller, Bleacher Report scout, who said last week Daniel Jones is the worst starting quarterback in the NFL. Clearly, he hasn't watched the film of Drew Locke. Clearly, he hasn't watched the film of several guys. And it's highly doubtful that many of these people, including us, have the time or wherewithal to watch all 22 of 32 quarterbacks a week. But Mark comes close. Mark comes damn close. So I can't wait to have him on. Look out for that. We're also going to do a Q&A show where we take all your questions. We're going to ask for them on Twitter. Some of you guys already sent them in a while ago, so we'll reference those as well. And we'll do a whole show on that. That'll probably come during the bye week as well. And we might do another live Q&A for those of you who want to join us. Let us know how else we can fulfill your Giants needs and talk Giants football with you and interact with you guys. That's what we love to do. Thanks again for tuning into the show, and we'll talk to you soon.